Now entering Nerdist.com. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, episode 13, The Conscience of the King. Good morrow, listeners, and welcome to an episode of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast sure to set your teeth on edge. I'm Ken Ray. And I'm John Champion. Once more into the breach, dear friends, we hold up an episode of Star Trek to see if the morals and the messages make neither rhyme nor reason. This is the short and the long of it, but why this week with the heavy use of the Bard's own words? Well, the play is the thing that leads Captain Kirk to bring a mass murderer to justice in this week's episode, The Conscience of the King. Now, before we get going, if you've not slept one wink because you just have to let us know your thoughts about the show, you can contact us in a number of ways. You can email us at missionlog at roddenberry.com, tweet us at missionlogpod, or find us at facebook.com slash missionlogpod. You can even leave us a voicemail at missionlogpod on Skype or call 323-522-5641. In one fell swoop, We'll have your comments, and we may even use them on a future episode. I know not of this voicemail of which you speaketh. <laughs> we got to stop but, that, right? We're going to stop that now? No, we're not, because throughout <laughs> this episode, uh, I, I have scattered phrases of Shakespeare. You did that. I did. I did that. <laughs> and, and so if you are paying attention as a listener, you will hear these little bits and pieces. Some of them are just painfully obvious, like our entire opening. Yeah. You won't hear those from me, by the way. You will catch a lot of 70s and 80s music references from me. <laughs> okay. None of which well, I believe were written by uh, the Bard. By Shakespeare? No. Yeah, okay. no, I don't believe so. Well, tonight's episode is The Conscience of the King, and uh, the focus is on a group of actors on the Enterprise, and it plays out as sort of a murder mystery episode. But as good luck would have it, we have time now for some trivia. I will be quick about it, because brevity is the soul of wit. Hey, I see what you did there. Uh, okay, so the show is from Shakespeare, and so is just everything in the show. The title, uh, the play within the play, uh, leaning heavily on Macbeth, uh, but then you have the actors performing a bit of Hamlet at the end. So it's just Shakespeare everywhere. And why not? You know? <laughs> um, I mean, I, I like to say that Star Trek is is a slice of pop culture literature that holds up over time. That's the whole purpose of our show, Ken. See yeah. if it holds up over time. And what holds up better over time than Shakespeare? So when you have a merging of the two, I think that's a great thing. We learned something really interesting about Kirk here. Mm. You know, Kirk is the, uh, and, and big, big finger quotes, the all-American hero, although he borrows a lot from the Greek tradition. But that is kind of the, the figure of Kirk. But we learn here that he was raised at least partially on another planet about 20 years prior. Um, we're not totally sure how old that would make him because he's old enough to have been aware of what was going on, but young enough that he sort of put this behind him. Right. And, and I find that kind of strange as a character thing, but we will, we will get into that with the discussion of the show. Um, this is the last 
filmed sequence for Grace Lee Whitney. Uh. And in our previous episodes, we talked about that kind of uh, uh, process there where she finished up her episodes. She actually knew that she had been let go from the show at this point and then went in to film her last little bit on this episode. And it's wonderful. <laughs> she it really, the, it really is just a fantastic moment. We, we have the lovely young ingenue Lenore invited to the bridge by Kirk. And it's just a glance. It's oh, just a look. It, it is not just a glance. It is a look. It is. It yeah. is not just a glance, though. So much is spoken in the mm, four seconds, maybe, that she's on screen. Yep. <laughs> that you yep. could even, I mean, if you wanted to do, and I know I'm retconning. I know, and you've taught me that term, and I appreciate it. I think there was <laughs> supposed to be, I think there was supposed to be a romance developing between, uh, between Kirk and Rand. And, and there is so much said by Rand when this young woman comes on the bridge, mm-hmm. this young woman that obviously has the attention of Captain Kirk. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and you could say it's, it's so much that's said by Rand, or you could say it's so much that's said by Grace Lee Whitney. Oh, right. so we're going right. to go that way? We're going to ditch the chick on the Enterprise and just roll in a new woman every week? Says Apparently the look from Grace Lee Whitney. Or, <laughs> oh, sure, you're just some girl on a planet. I'm here day in, day out, says Yeoman Rand. Either way, and all of this is without words. And, of course, we're we're putting a whole lot into it. But yeah. I loved it. I was like, I, wow. Yeah. I mean, here's what I heard. I know no words were spoken, but here's what I heard when she gave Lenore the look. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I heard the same thing. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so on to happier things, though. This is the first episode where Major Barrett is doing the voice of the computer. Hmm. And, you know, that is such an indelible part of Star Trek that uh, it is kind of odd that we haven't had it up until now. We have had computer voices before, but now we have Major Barrett, soon to be Major Barrett Roddenberry, doing the voice of the computer. I have a bit of trivia. I'm no Majel Barrett Roddenberry. Do they think I don't know that? Sorry. It's not you. It's me. Maybe we should just go ahead to the episode recap. Captain Kirk is in a theater watching Macbeth when his friend points out that he thinks the lead actor is really Kodos, the executioner. Act 1. The Enterprise has been diverted at the request of Dr. Thomas Leighton to investigate a famine-ending food product. Oops, that's not entirely true. Leighton has lied to get his old friend Kirk to come by to corroborate his suspicion that the Shakespearean actor Anton Caridian is actually the despot Kodos, who killed half the population of Tarsus IV some 20 years ago. Kirk explains that Kodos is dead. He returns to the Enterprise, though, to do a Google search. I mean, he asks the Enterprise computer to compare Kodos and Caridian. They're a little similar, but it's too hard to tell. Kodos is officially reported dead, but the body wasn't positively identified. Kirk decides to go back to the planet, where he meets Caridian's lovely 19-year-old daughter, Lenore. There's a little flirtation, and then a moonlit walk interrupted by the discovery of Leighton as dead as a doornail. Kirk needs time to investigate. He calls in a favor to the captain of the Astral Queen, and now the actors are stranded with the Enterprise, the only ship in town. Lenore asks for a ride, and promises a Shakespeare performance for the crew. Act 2. 
Kirk is searching the library computer and realizes he and Leighton are among the nine eyewitnesses of Kodos's reign of terror. Know who else was an eyewitness? Riley, the one who sings Irish drinking songs in the naked time. Kirk wants Riley out of view just in case and sends him to engineering. Spock is getting suspicious too, and he turns to McCoy about the captain's odd behavior. Meanwhile, the only behavior Kirk is really overplaying here is to lay on the seduction with Lenore as a couple of star-crossed lovers in the hangar deck. Riley, and I swear he's on the verge here of breaking into song at any minute, radios up to Uhura, who is persuaded into a tune. He's about to have dinner, very healthy, milk and brightly colored cubes of food, when someone poisons his drink. Riley falls over choking, but Uhura realizes things are not right, and Riley is whisked away to sickbay. Spock is now putting things together. If Riley and Kirk are the only remaining Kodos witnesses, Kirk must be the next target. Act 3. McCoy and Spock have had just about enough of Kirk's ambiguity and decide to get to the bottom of things. Kirk is all, I'm not sure, and Spock is all, come on, you have eyes. Then they're both all, what's that noise? Oh, it's a phaser set to overload. The captain searches everywhere for the phaser, finally discovers it behind an alert panel, and then rushes into the hall to eject it in the mini-disposal chute. Kirk then goes directly to Caridian. What follows is... Well, it's a lot of dramatic doublespeak and vague allusions to past lives, and maybe I am, maybe I'm not, but what does it matter now? Kirk has Caridian do a voice recording, just in case a library computer can compare that to a known recording of Kodos. Riley is awake now after his close brush with death, and McCoy is in the next room recording a personal log about Caridian slash Kodos. This is all Riley needs to hear. He's certain that the attempt on his life was related to the devil incarnate who wiped out his own family. Act 4. Kirk is still indecisive, even though the computer says that the voice analysis is very close. Riley has decided that Caridian is Kodos, and he grabs a phaser to give the devil his due at some point during the troop's performance. Kirk catches Riley sneaking around backstage and stops him. Caridian overhears this, and he explains his distress to Lenore. Lenore, much to his surprise, knows all about it. She's so cool with it, in fact, that she's been going around killing anyone who is an eyewitness. Caridian is devastated that the past has been dredged up, that there is more bloodshed, and most of all, that his seemingly innocent daughter has been drawn into his own terrible deeds. Lenore quickly grabs a phaser from a guard and runs on stage. Displaying exactly what madness lies, she points her weapon at Kirk, but Caridian jumps in front. She shoots her own father, and now we've got some pretty heavy soliloquizing. All's well that ends well? Well, maybe not. Later on the bridge, McCoy reports that Lenore is being cared for, but is so far gone that she thinks her father is still alive and performing. When pushed by McCoy, Kirk vaguely indicates that he had feelings for her, but after all, discretion is the better part of valor. I think you want to ask the obvious question here about Kirk. What? You mean, is he doing what uh, Spock did last week? I think he's doing exactly what Spock did last week. He, he basically hijacks the Enterprise, changes course, and he's going off on a personal mission. Well, yes and no. I mean, what Spock did last week was you know, hijack the Enterprise. Oh, by the way, he's not the captain. True. And, and, uh, and go someplace that he could get killed for going to take one guy to live happily ever after. I mean, Kirk, on the other hand, is, I mean, though personally involved... As theoretically in pursuit of justice. 
Yeah, but would it kill him to uh, make sure that his plans are known to his highest and most trusted advisors? Eh, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, it nearly killed uh, it nearly killed uh, Caridian slash Kodos, and eventually did. But I mean, once somebody else find, found out, once Riley overheard, then he nearly kills Kodos, right? Mm-hmm. So would it have killed Kirk? Eh. Who knows? Because you've obviously got somebody going around killing people, and Kirk is on that list. Yeah, but I, I don't know. <laughs> maybe I'm getting ahead of myself, and maybe we're jumping the timeline again. I'm, I keep thinking about the protection that is placed on the captain in a show like Next Gen. Mm-hmm. And I just feel like here is the captain willingly endangering himself and potentially other people on the ship. He doesn't know if all of this killing will just end with him. He doesn't know how dangerous the situation is, right. um, except that his friend Tom is now dead, too. So... Um, I don't know. I, to me, it's a pretty close parallel to uh, what happened with Spock. Well, um, similar, but not not the same. I mean, I don't think I don't think for this, uh, Kirk should be drummed out of Starfleet. Going back to the menagerie, right. it, Spock should be drummed out of Starfleet for what he did. Now, of course, that would be bad, and we don't really think that. But I mean, we kind of do. In a, in a military organization, <laughs> mm-hmm. Spock would probably be drummed out. Oh, yeah. Um, Kirk, yeah. Kirk, I think, would get a reprimand. But I don't think he would be relieved of duty for a couple of reasons. First of all, again, he is captain of the ship. I mean, that does give him a certain amount of, I don't want to say privilege. It's not like he can just, you know, treat it like a yacht. But, I mean, it gives him a certain amount of leeway being yeah, you know, being I, captain of the ship. And then he's actually doing something. I think, I think you know, the Federation would probably be happy to see Kodos, you know, brought up on charges or, or detained or however you want to do it. Maybe they want to send him to uh, Tantalus. I, there you go. There you go. I, I don't know what they would do with him, but I don't think, I mean, Kirk's not just out, you know, giving somebody a ride. He's actually, he's in pursuit of something that I think most people in the Federation would say was probably a good thing. I still think he's going rogue because yeah. here we are, here we are at the question of do the ends justify the means? Same thing with Kirk, same thing with Kodos, you know, um, and we'll, we'll get more into kind of those motivations in a moment, but um, Kirk is, I, he's acting a little inappropriately. I, I kept thinking to myself, what do his personal logs sound like during all of this? <laughs> you know, well, that's a good point, but we don't, we're, yeah, not, yeah, we're not privy to those. We're not, we're not, but I keep thinking he's saying things like, oh, I'm not going to tell anybody what I'm doing here, but I am totally going to seduce this 19 year old girl so I can find out if Kodos <laughs> slash Caridian are the same man. Yeah. You know, so, um, you've got a problem with the age thing. Well, I, I do. Yeah, I, I do a bit because here's the thing. We have to assume that Kirk was 20 years ago of age enough to be aware of what was going on. Yep. And and I'm going to say that Kirk is mid-30s. We, we haven't had up to this point. We have not had a canon description of how old Kirk is. Yep. That'll come. I know yep. that'll come. But um I'm going to say mid 30s, but maybe could be a little bit older because we have to assume that he was a, a young adult, at least. Right. You know, late teen, young adult while he was on um, uh, on Tarsus four. Yes. And yeah, I, you know, Lenore. OK, she's a mature 19. <laughs> I'll give her that. Right. Um, but she's crazy. 
we get that well, as we don't well. know that yet yeah we don't know that yet but i don't know i and, and here's the thing it's like kirk's seduction of her if he's doing it just to get information out of her it's wrong if he's doing it because he's really trying to seduce this 19 year old girl i still think it's wrong oh dude <laughs> you know and and here's the thing uh-huh. first of all we've graduated from miri yeah we have and that's yeah. good news Yep. <laughs> if she were yeah. 12 and she wasn't Mary, I'd yeah. be on your side on this. But, you know, I actually, I promised earlier that I would speak in 70s and 80s song lines. Yep, go ahead. The Cuervo Gold, the fine Colombian, make tonight a wonderful <laughs> thing. That's from the song Hey 19 by Steely Dan. Uh, yep. And if you go back and listen to it, this is a song about a guy who has no business talking to a 19-year-old. So you know what he's going to do? He's going to get drunk. <laughs> <laughs> right. He's going to suggest that she get drunk and they're going to do what drunk people. Oh, I'm sorry. And, and partake in. I, well, fine Colombian could be food, mm-hmm. but sure. I'm thinking not. Right. I don't know. I mean, I'm not I'm not I'm not encouraging that kind of behavior. I'm just saying I'm mostly I'm just happy that she's not 13. Yeah. Yeah. Well, by the way, that song <laughs> takes place way back in 67. No, that song does not take place way back in 67. He's talking about way back in 67 in the early 1970s. He's talking about way back in 67 to somebody who's 19, who way back in 67 would have been somewhere between, I don't know what year, Hey 19 uh, came out. Yeah, but he's yeah, talking yeah. to somebody who would have seen 67 at, at the tender young age of 19. Uh, she would have been somewhere between 10 and maybe yeah, that's 13. True. Yeah, there you, you know, go. When that, so yeah, that's ancient history. Yeah, to her. Well, I mean, <laughs> and here's the thing: I, I know that I, I know that Lenore is. I know that Lenore is of age, right. obviously, and right. and like I said, she is a mature nineteen. Yeah. Um. It, it just, I, I still get the Kirk kind of creepy factor that we know that he's just laying on the charm to get the information out of her. Yeah, she's an adult. Their their exchange at the cocktail party is. Just kind of strange. Oh, you raise another interesting point. She's of drinking age in the Federation, she is. too. She's an adult. Yeah. I mean, I'm, look, I'm not saying, yeah. you know, here's the thing. Well, whatever. I, I now sound like <laughs> a dirty old man, and I guess I'm okay with that. Because she is an adult. Yeah, she is. Mostly, she is. again, I'm just happy that she's not underage. <laughs> right. Because, you know, if Kirk hits on one more 13-year-old... I yeah. may have a problem. Right. So, and even though he's only hit on one, as far as we know, I mean, up to this point in the series, he's only hit on one. Oh, fingers right. crossed right. that it doesn't happen again. Okay. I got to <laughs> say, I love the use of Hamlet mm-hmm. here, but I mean, part of that is I love Hamlet. Everybody it's, loves it's, Hamlet. Yeah. <laughs> everybody doesn't like something, but nobody doesn't love Hamlet. Right. Um, but I mean, no, it works well here. I mean, I know you were, you were sort of impressed with using Macbeth in the beginning and how that overlays. Uh, the idea mm-hmm. of a man spurred to action by horrors of the past, by mm-hmm. ghosts, um, as Hamlet is in Hamlet and as Kirk is in Conscience of the King. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Hamlet works much better than, say, you know, Twelfth Night. Um, <laughs> you don't think the Caridian would have looked great in purple stockings prancing <laughs> around the corridors of the Enterprise? I'm just saying, I think maybe it's All a right. <laughs> it's, uh, it's it's probably a good choice there. Um, I, I do also think it's neat that um, Lenore's introduction to the play, saying Hamlet is a violent play of violent times when life was cheap and ambition was God. Mm, mm-hmm. um, I don't know. It's it's not terribly accurate necessarily, since I think Hamlet would have been happy 
living with his mother, aunt, and father, uncle, once he got over his grief. Hamlet was not about um, ambition for the part that we see. It was, of course, ambition that leads Claudius to kill um, Hamlet's father, whose name escapes me. Hamlet? Was his name Hamlet? I can't remember. Ah. (laughs) Yes, here I am. I love Hamlet, but I can't remember, you know, the name of the ghost. We'll call him Hamlet's father. Okay. Um, I loved her description of it. I mean, it's interesting. It sort of it sort of explains away some of the violence in the play to people living in the 23rd century. Although, I mean, the whole thing is steeped in violence because we know the history of Kodos mm-hmm. as as we're going into it. So, yeah, I I I just nothing really there. I just love the way Hamlet worked into the whole thing, or how the writer of this episode, you know, worked Hamlet into the whole thing, wove it around. I, I agree. And yeah. I, you know what? There's something interesting here about Kirk, the the character of Kirk, that right at the beginning, he's completely satisfied without the positive ID of Kodos. You know, we, we learn the story that Kodos is reported dead. And Kirk says, well, that, that's what the records say. He's dead. I'm fine with that. But then for the rest of the episode, he is very indecisive. And he's, he's very concerned here about doing the right thing. Well, Kirk's a Holocaust survivor. Mm-hmm. I'm, and I'm not, you know, not to make that just like, pff, that's what it is. But I mean, Kirk's a Holocaust survivor. I mean, there were there were people yeah. who came out of World War II. And I, to me, this is actually fascinating. I don't remember if we're supposed to talk about this here or later or whatever. But to me, this is actually a, a fascinating episode because you watch it now and you can sort of make that, you know, you can make that case that that's what it is. But we're watching it 50 years later. Yeah. Or close to. When this episode came out in 1966, we were 21 years from the end of World War II. And mm-hmm. Kodos Caridian, Kodos was last seen 20 years ago. This is actually a very timely episode for when it was produced. I'm not saying, you know, old Nazis were turning up all over the place, but it wasn't, right. you know, it wasn't impossible to think that somebody who's been living, you know, normal life as a, as a, you know, a teacher or an actor or, you know, just, you know, the old guy down the corner that nobody really talks to, but he's you know, a sure. nice guy. He's quiet. Oh, and he's a Nazi, it turns out. As far as Kirk, though, and being fine without habeas corpus, I would think he would be because of the horrors that he's seen. There were some people who came out and said, let's catch everybody and, you know, bring them to justice or kill them or what have you. And there were other people who came back, who came out and said, "Ah, oh, I'm glad that's over. <laughs> no, right. And, and they were fine right. to have it be over, you know, so uh, Kirk being OK with that. It, I mean, it's kind of interesting to me. I don't know that Kirk was convinced. I think he was happy with the story. Kodos is dead. Good. Kodos is dead. I don't have to think about it. I think, yeah. I think if you had put the question to, you know, well, are you sure he's dead? I mean, he almost went with Leighton, uh, does the whole thing with, you know, putting his fingers in his ears and saying, nope, Kodos is dead. La, 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 yeah, la, la. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah. Um, couple more observations here before we get into the discussion. Uh, hey, our old pal Riley is back. Uh, I could not believe they sent him to engineering. Does nobody remember what happened the last time Riley was I in engineering? I know. It's a train wreck. Yes. <laughs> yes. That's such a great idea. But he didn't sing, which is good. Oh, he was right on the verge. I mean, any moment it was going to be a musical again, and it was going to be Riley. Well, it it, was he, he was just saved. He was saved by Uhura yes. being on the other end of the intercom. Yeah, what's going on, by the way? Four hundred some odd uh, compliment on this ship. They keep one guy in engineering. Yeah, yeah, right. Really? I mean, Riley. The reason Riley calls up is because Riley is bored, and Riley is bored because there is nobody else in engineering. First, apparently, of all, Scotty again, doesn't even like to go to engineering. I know. He's nowhere to be found in this episode. <laughs> 
<laughs> That's true. That's absolutely yeah. true. Yeah. And again, I, even if you want to send Riley to engineering, please, the last time he was there, things went poorly. Send someone else right. along with him. To, I mean, just, you know, I know he's not under the effects of the contagion as he was in the naked time, but, you know, just in case, just in case he gets the urge, because let's remember, he does know how to take over the Enterprise from engineering. Yeah. Uh, from here on out, it's Riley, stay in your quarters, and we're taking out all the buttons that have any control over the ship that or any be. connection to any. See, any that might have been a good idea. Riley, you look tired. Maybe you could go lay down for five to seven days. <laughs> that would have been probably the way to get Riley out of the way. Either that or send him, hey, you know, send him off to uh, Rigel. Yeah, there you go. Um, and you know what? If Riley were looking for a way to get to Rigel... He could take a shuttle because apparently the Enterprise has a shuttle bay and a shuttle craft. All of a sudden. Yeah. Um, so, of course, these were <laughs> shot a little bit out of order and aired a little bit out of order. We are introduced to the idea of the shuttle craft last week in the Menagerie. But now we get to see the hangar deck, at least the observation area of the hangar deck. And um, you know what? The topic of the shuttle has come up a few times. Uh, you'll be able to listen to it in a supplemental episode of Mission Log. But um, we do finally actually have a hangar deck and a shuttle that we can call the Enterprise's own. Right. Making the whole plot point of the enemy within um, <laughs> completely <laughs> no make, and make no sense anymore. Spock, by the way, you know, Spock, he's kind of back to the tough guy enforcer role here. I, I love this line that he has with uh, McCoy. And you know, McCoy is going into Kirk's quarters when they both confront him. McCoy is leading with this idea of, well, yeah, Riley was poisoned, but I'm not really sure what that means yet. And Spock just, come on. He has this great line. You should learn the difference between empiricism and stubbornness, doctor. And uh, uh, Spock has made up his mind. Yeah, he, he has decided and he's ready to just be done with all of this. And yet he doesn't seem clear on you know, what should happen once it happens. I mean, what he's actually more concerned about, it's almost like he doesn't give a wet slap about Kodos being there, except that Kodos may hurt Kirk. Right. His big concern is not making sure that Kodos comes to justice, although one assumes that he would get to that. But mm. as, as second in command, his, his, uh, his uh, primary duty is to make sure the chain of command is not broken and, you know, more to the point, make sure his friend Jim is not uh, killed. You know what we should do? When we're done with this show in 14 years, we should do a Shakespeare podcast. I'll start. Hark, hark, I hear, the strain of strutting Chanticleer. If you knew what I just called John and Ken, you'd be busting a gut. I think one of the most poignant things in this episode in terms of, uh, in terms of the, the meat, the morals and the messages that we like to look for, mm -hmm. uh, McCoy's exchange with Kirk here about vengeance. McCoy keeps pushing Kirk to say, what are you really after? Is this justice or is this vengeance? And when Kirk says, basically, I'm going to, I'm going to see this out. I'm going to find out what's going on here. And, and if it's Kodos, he will be, you know, prosecuted, killed, wh whatever it is that will happen to him in the 23rd century. And um, 
And McCoy basically says to him, well, so once that happens, what do you do now? What, you know, what, what is the, what do you solve by doing that? And Kirk's reply is just that, well, all those people who died on Tarsus four get to rest a little easier. Hmm. Really? But I, I, I don't know if that's a great answer. Well, you know? it's, I mean, it's not. There's a there's a great line at the beginning of Fargo. I think it was actually written on the screen before, either before or after, beginning or end, where where they say um, uh, to protect the living, uh, the names have been changed. To protect the dead, nothing else has been. Now that whole thing turned out to be fake. It was something along those lines. That whole thing yeah. turned out to be fake. Fargo is not, in fact, based on a true story. That was part of the part of the fun that the Cohen brothers had when they made Fargo. But. Right. Um, to say that you know those people will be able to rest easier, I'm not sure we owe the dead anything. I mean, it's not that's not a real answer. I mean, this is obviously for Kirk's benefit, and you could say for the benefit of justice as well. But um, I'm okay with Kirk's answer because I don't think Kirk knows why Kirk is doing what he's doing. I mean, I think he feels like he has to see it through somehow, but I don't think he knows whether it's justice or vengeance, and you know. Well- yeah, but I think that's why it's so appropriate and so good that McCoy calls him out on it. And and I think Kirk is a little shaken by that because he doesn't know. And if he doesn't know, then probably the motivations aren't entirely correct here. Why do you assume that? Well, I, I mean, the motivation to want to see justice done mm-hmm. is is correct but but meanwhile kirk is so it, it, to me kirk is too close to the problem mm-hmm. you know and, and this goes back to my problem with kirk sort of doing all of this on his own not telling anybody about it and leaving it to mccoy and spock to just sort of figure it out and pick up the pieces you know if kirk had and of course we wouldn't have the episode at this point so uh, all of this is is null and void because we have to have the dramatic element of the story here um uh, but had he been able to remove himself from this and say look i need you Spock and I need you McCoy and I need the skills of the other people on the enterprise who can do this to figure out who this person is because I I'm either doing something that is purely for the 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 need for justice or I might just be uh, kind of off on a tear here because I'm remembering something poorly from 20 years ago so is your concern that Kirk was maybe going to kill Kodos I, I no 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 I, I I love the fact that Kirk is constantly stepping in the way and stopping that from happening. You know he obviously he takes the phaser away from Riley and he is he is racked with indecision. But like I said, I think he is still emotionally too close to this, and and that's why he, he's just displaying this kind of very weird behavior about making it all secret and all this. And and I think that it could have been very cut and dried had he gone through maybe a little more proper channels. Hmm. The only reason I can think of that he wouldn't have done that is either he doesn't want to seem crazy because you know common knowledge says that Kodos is dead, and so he doesn't want people to freak out and think, oh, he's freaking out. Yeah, Or maybe he was thinking about killing him. Now, I never got the sense that he was thinking about killing him on his own, although it is sort of an interesting question when when, um, when Bones asks him, is this about you know, justice or vengeance? I mean, the only, way, the only way it's about vengeance is if he's going to kill him. Because we know that there's no... I mean, there, there's only one thing that's going to get Kodos killed, 
And that's, and that's going to Talos. That's going to Talos 4, right. right. So, I mean, <laughs> unless he's going to set him up to go to Talos 4, I mean, he's yeah. not he's not going to kill him. And, and Kodos is not going to die for his crime. I'm not sure what the struggle was unless he was thinking about killing him. Now, maybe it was the Stark, you know, maybe it was seeing Riley standing there with the phaser that made Kirk decide, okay, I'm not going to kill him. Although certainly if you were going to kill him, you could have just done it in his quarters. Sure. I don't know. I don't know. It didn't. There, there was nothing about what Kirk did that bothered me, honestly. Mm. Yeah, and I mean, I, I think that there are admirable things about Kirk here. Like, like I said, the the fact that he, the fact that he has that little element of of indecision, kind of questioning himself, and, and the fact that he knows he has to stop Riley mm-hmm. from from killing Kodos slash Caridian. And, and I think that's why, you know, when I come back to it, um, it, to me, obviously this show isn't about the death penalty, but it made me think about that. And, it, and it's not a show about the role of justice. This is a show that is much more about the mystery at hand here and Kirk's doubt, which I like seeing played out. But it made me think about all of those things. And it made me think about, you know, again, going back to McCoy's line, well, what now? What, what if you get what you're after? Then what happens? You know, do you, is everything okay all of a sudden when, uh, if Kodos is put to death or particularly if you kill him? Um, and I just like this idea that we keep going back and forth with this question about justice versus vengeance. And that is very much relevant at all times, <laughs> you know, it was relevant in the distant past. It is relevant now. It will continue to be relevant in the future. Yeah, it goes so back I, to it goes back to some of the questions that we had around um, dagger of the mind as well. What is prison supposed to be? So, I mean, if you don't want to say mm-hmm. it's going to be prison, but what is punishment supposed to be? Well, not even yeah, punishment right. though, because punishment is obviously punishment. So, what is it that's going to happen to Kodos, and why is it going to happen? Is it about rehabilitating him? Is it about punishing him, or is it just about removing him from society? I mean, yeah. the interesting thing is Kodos has already removed himself from society. Now there's this Caridian guy, and this Caridian yeah. guy just goes around, you know, and is an actor. So, I mean, Kodos kind of is dead. Yeah. Except, of course, for the fact that he's not. Right, right. But, you know, okay, say they had taken Kodos and sent him away to uh, Tantalus. Yeah. And used that device and wiped out his memory. Yeah. And now there is no memory of Kodos. As far as Kodos is concerned, there is only Caridian. Well, then we're we're kind of back at the same place, aren't we? Well, I mean, <laughs> the, the other thing, though, is that that machine is, is toast. It is. It is. <laughs> so you can't really. Not, you can't. But really the do plans that. may be floating around. We don't know. Well, let's talk about Kodos a little bit. Okay. Like so many of the the bad guys throughout history, the the real you know uh, despots and and tyrannous leaders. Here's somebody who thinks that what he did was right. You're crazy. It, You're crazy. No, no, go ahead. It's not me. It's not me. I mean, I, I, he thinks that he is justified in his actions. Dude. No? Dude. You don't think so? Do I think he was or do I think he thinks he was? No, 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 no. I'm not saying that he was justified. I'm saying that he thinks he was. Well, you know, so in the same way that in the same way you take uh, uh, a, a horrific historic figure like Hitler. Yeah. OK. Clearly what Hitler was doing was wrong by all counts. And yet 
he thought that what he was doing was right no. for his country. No. Yeah. No, I'm sorry. I, no, I disagree. Really? You, you, well, you can't tell me that. I mean, obviously Hitler thought what he was doing was right for Germany, but he was wrong. And you can't tell me that there wasn't some part of him somewhere or, or, or other people standing around saying, you know, what he's doing is wrong. So, I mean, I, I don't – you can – I don't know that what – Kodos felt like he was doing good for the 4,000, but it was at the expense of the other 4,000. And who was he to decide that kind of thing? And you can't say, well, he was a leader and he made a tough decision. No, the tough decision would have been, it's the 23rd century. Something is going to happen. There are ships. There are ships that bring supplies. The problem was the supplies weren't going to get there soon enough. And so he thought, well, the best thing to do is pick the 4,000 that I like and kill the other 4,000 so that there's no hardship for the 4,000 that I like while we're waiting for the supplies. Right. I mean, this was not this was not a decision that needed to be made. And here's the thing. Going back to what we talked about a couple of weeks ago in um, the Corbamite maneuver. Yes. We have to decide what we're going to be. We have to decide what we're going to do. It should not have to be written in bylaws that, okay, if things get tough for the 8,000, I'm going to suddenly make it 4,000. You shouldn't have to you shouldn't have to write that down ahead of time. Anybody who is the leader of an earth colony, you know, if we were talking about the Klingons or if we were talking about some other alien race, then you might say, well, they're a warrior like species, aren't they? So that kind of thing happens. But we know that what happened on Tarsus 4, we know that Tarsus 4 was an earth colony. Now, there, there are a couple of things. I mean, there's definitely a war thing going on, though, because in his speech where he says he's going to execute 4000 of the people, he talks mm-hmm. about the revolution having been won. I don't know what the revolution is. I don't know what all of that is. They're obviously setting up as a as a warrior kind of thing. But here's the problem. Anybody who wins a revolution and says, but the bad news is 4,000 of you have to die. I don't think he was on the side of right. I don't know who he overthrew in this revolution. I don't know what was overthrown in this revolution. Or was he just speaking, you know, generally about... You know, how wonderful society is now, and, and we, we've thrown off the shackles of, of, of bad and ick, but we do still apparently have a problem with tyranny, which I'm going to prove to 4,000 of you in about three minutes, and also we've got the problem of famine. Yes. <laughs> so we've yeah, yeah. got to die so that everybody else can live, and and I think we have to, just like I said a couple of weeks ago in the Corbomite Maneuver, we have to decide that, no, that's not the way we're going to do it. Because what what Kodo says is, if that supply ship hadn't gotten there, then I would be thought a hero today. Well, no, I don't think so. <laughs> I think he would have been <laughs> thought a hero if, you know, only Nazis would think that he was a hero. Seriously. Only Nazis would think he was a hero in that case. And most everybody else would say, had he led those 8,000 people bravely through a very tough time and had they all ended up dying, it would have been a tragedy. And he would have been seen as a strong leader who, who led these people through this terrible time. And, and it's so unfortunate that there wasn't more that could have been done. I don't think anybody would have shown up and said, oh, you know what he should have done was killed half the people. <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, yeah, I, I think from uh, obviously from that perspective yeah nobody would think that that his decision making is right what i'm trying to say is that from the from the perspective of the show anyway we're given this sort of um we're given this side of caridian that we do like that that we do sort of 
try to understand. And that, that is this sort of Star Trek thing about, well, let's try to understand our enemy here. And, and we're going to paint this enemy with the worst possible thing, which is that he slaughtered half the population that he was responsible for. He, uh, he's getting into this sort of self-imposed eugenics, um, which goes back to Dr. Corby and Dr. Adams and all this stuff, playing God with who lives and who dies. And out of those who live, you know, then I get to pick who those people are. Um, we're given this little shred of sympathy to feel for him. Mm. I think e- even just the fact that it's 20 years later and now he's an old man who is probably not as dangerous as he was 20 years ago. You're given a little shred of sympathy. Forgive me, I, I don't feel it. I honestly felt more sympathy for Amon Goethe in Schindler's <laughs> List. Seriously, uh-huh. I uh-huh. felt more sympathy for Goethe in Schindler's mm-hmm. List than I felt for... Um, than I felt for Caridian slash Kodos. And, mm. I, and maybe it's just because of what we see on the screen. In, yeah, in Schindler's yeah. List, we see Rafe Fiennes fall in love with his maid, who is Jewish, and this presents a conflict for him. I don't get the sense that Kodos had any conflict about killing the 4,000 people. He may feel bad about it ever since, but we don't know if he feels bad because he killed 4,000 people or because it's always dogged him. Because he had to give up his life and be something else because he killed 4,000 people. And it turns out that was an unpopular decision. I mean, I, do I feel sorry for him? Well, I, wait, wait. I, I, think, I think that he does think. He does know that it was wrong, that, that, that what he did was wrong. Like that whole thing with Lenore when we get to the end, he's saying, you know, no more blood on my hands. And he's... He's absolutely racked with this. He has tried so hard to put it behind him. I don't think just from the self-preservation side of it, I, I think that there is a, a guilt following him around about this. I mean, I, I, maybe I'm reading way, way too much into his experience here, but I, I do think that we are presented with something sympathetic here. J- just the fact that he... He has this daughter. He has this other life. We don't know until the end that the daughter's crazy, too. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, driven but, driven mad, you know, by what he's done and by trying to cover up for it, by the way. Right, right, right. Yeah. Uh, but, I, I, yeah, I, I don't think that there is a good justification for what he did. And I, I think by all accounts, this is horrifically wrong. Uh, that, that is a very clear-cut thing here. I just think that we are presented with these, this idea of a shred of Caridian slash Kodos that is sympathetic, that is human, that at least the others around him are trying to understand before just counting him off, killing him, well, or, or doing, what, what, doing whatever it is that the justice system will do with him. Hmm. Yeah, I didn't feel it. Okay, fair All enough. Right. Thanks. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Moving on. Um, I, I I think that uh, there's this, there's this little moment here because you know we, we talk very often about uh, technology and man versus technology and and all of this and. There's this confrontation between Kirk and Caridian in Caridian's quarters um, where then Caridian calls out Kirk about humanity and and he's he's dressing down Kirk saying, well, 
you know, look at you. You think I'm a murderer, but but look at you. You have all this technology that makes you inhuman. Wait just a minute. You're the governor of an Earth colony. That means that some technology got you from Earth to another planet, first of all. And you were able to radio back. And even though you didn't get the answer that you needed about getting new supplies, um, it just seemed like a, a conversation that wasn't particularly effective if you – do you follow? Do you, do you think the same thing here? You yeah. know, it seemed well, like it, I mean, it, it was, seemed like just self-preservation. It, it didn't even seem to me like to be stalling or self-preservation. It just seemed like, okay, if you want to say that Kodos does have bad feelings about what he did, mm-hmm. and it's not just that he's been chased around, you know, from one end of the galaxy to the other, theoretically. Um, he's trying to bring Kirk down. Kirk obviously feels like he's got a bit of the moral high ground here. What with his, you know not only having not killed 4,000 people, but having survived <laughs> under the rule of this despot. Right. Um, and, and it feels like Kodos is just, you know, trying to say, oh, you think you're so great, but you're not so great. I mean, it's, you know, it's <laughs> like, that, that's pretty much it. I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't like, you know, somebody sitting in judgment over him. Yeah. And so he's trying to bring Kirk down to his level, although with an argument that really holds no water. Well, let's talk about that judgment because the next thing that happens is that, uh, uh, Lenore then calls out Kirk for mercy, mm-hmm. and and to me that that just uh, the gall the gall of that moment, and to me that's the turning point where you just have to think, okay, something is not right with this girl at all. But Kirk's retort to that is great. You know, she's she's painting him as this you know judgmental. Uh, uh, you know, godlike figure who gets to decide who has mercy and who doesn't. Who are you to do this? And Kirk's line, who do I have to be? I think is terrific um, because that is the statement there for personal responsibility uh, for the injustice that has happened. So it's very simple, but I, I thought it was a, a powerful line because it, it ends the argument. There is no good reply to that from her. You know, he, he's kind of taken a beating from the both of them up until that point. Plays from 400 years ago. A TV show from 50 years ago about a time 200 years from now. What message has all of this for us today? Well, you've got the trivia thing that you love to do. One of my favorite things to do is to ask the questions, then the show. And not because I'm looking forward to ending the show, though there is something on TV. (laughs) (laughs) Does this episode hold up for you? From a a production standpoint, I don't even know know about the whole message thing yet, so we'll get to that in a moment. But just from a production standpoint, does this episode hold up for you? I'm a little on the fence about this one. I I think watching it for the first time in a very long time, as I did for this show, uh, the the mystery element played well. There was intrigue there. But I also felt like, well, we kind of know that this Kodos Caridian guy is the guy we're looking for right from the beginning. As soon as they kill Tom Layton, you just have to assume that that these are bad people. There's a little twist with Lenore, uh, but I feel like once you've seen the mystery, uh, there's not a whole lot of replay value for me here, but I think that it is acted well for the most part 
for the most part, gets a little over the top when we have that death scene at the end. You know, we're, we're showing you, we're telling you, telegraphing that Lenore is going crazy at yeah. this point. You yeah. know, um, so things like that don't entirely play well. Um, I think Shatner's acting is really good. I think the interplay between him and Bones and Spock is very good. I, I like that they're there challenging him on what he's doing when we get those moments. I think that's terrific stuff. Um, you know, I, I, I won't beat this over the head about Lenore being 19 years old, but the seduction scene is still a little, uh, a little 20th century, um, little cheesy. Um, and speaking of cheese, how about that cocktail party when they're playing the light jazz version of the Star Trek theme? Yeah. Yeah, that's, so it's kind of fun. Although I was honestly distracted, I think um, I think those were Baylock's uh, Tranya glasses. Oh, I think they were. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> they were right. serving. Yeah. That they were serving the cocktails. Yeah, but I'm kind of amused by that when shows will include in universe something that is from the production side of the show, like their own theme song. You know, James Bond gets away with that every now and then. Um, well, arguably, they get away with it. Like uh, Bond and Moonraker typing in uh, the the code to uh, to get into the secret lab, and it's the theme from Close Encounters. And every now and then, you'll hear hints uh, like an octopusy. You hear the uh, the James Bond theme yeah. being played on the pipes. So every now and then, you can kind of sort of squeeze at it as a joke. And for for this, I, I kept thinking, you know, I wanted Kirk to say, "Hey, uh, you hear that?" That's my theme song. <laughs> you know? Played in an elevator. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. So I, I'm a little on the fence with this one. I, I, I think that it, it holds up a little bit. I, I think that it, it, there's a lot about it that's solid, but to me there's not replay value, and it is over the top. So um, I, I'm, I'm still going to sit firmly here on the fence and say, does it hold up? Well, yes and no. Yeah, and the drag is I ha- kind of have to say yes and no as well. I mean, I think this okay. episode might be better if we put it into its historical context, like I talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, yeah, The events of Tarsus, you know, uh, happened 20 years ago in-universe. In real life, this episode aired 21 years after the end of World War II. So the idea that Kurt could be going along, minding his own business, and stumble across a war criminal um, might have been resonant to the public at large when this episode aired. Uh, so for that, I find it interesting. At the same time, the episode suffers from a lack of, you know, being able to predict the future because the idea that only nine people could ID Kodos is insane yeah. today. Kodos's <laughs> speech would be on the 23rd century equivalent of YouTube <laughs> minutes after it happened. And it might even be streamed on one of the you know many live streaming services out there, Justin TV or Ustream or whatever you people in the future listening to this historical record are using for streaming live, uh, live, uh, live events. Right. Um, so, it, I mean, it kind of suffers from that. I mean, there would be more than two pictures of Kodos. I'm also not sure how he was able to be governor and yet only nine people uh, could identify him. Yeah, Because true. we know 4,000 people lived. Yeah. <laughs> and, and yeah. Did 3,993 of them, like, crash in the shuttle that was leaving Tarsus for? So I mean, he, uh, there, there, I mean, there, there are a few, there are a few logical things where it sort of suffers that way. But one of the biggest is yeah. even in 1966, even when you're talking about, you know, starships and teleporters and all that stuff. I mean, we couldn't possibly know the level to which our lives would be recorded, edited, and then you know, broadcast to everyone. You know, mm-hmm. even if all we're showing is you know, videos of our funny cat. 
Right. So, so I mean, it kind of suffers from that. But historically, it, it sort of works. And, it, you know, if you like a good episode of Columbo, this is not a bad episode of Columbo. Mm-hmm. Or, or, you know, name your favorite uh, 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 sort of you know, mystery show or private investigator show because Spock sort of takes that role pretty well. Yeah. What's the message? Is there one? Well, see, you just said it in, in your last sentence, which is that this is a pretty good mystery show. And to me, that's really what this is about. The The message isn't necessarily the message. It's just that we're kind of along for this mystery. And we have this Shakespearean grandeur all around us. So uh, we're we're kind of going along here with Kirk's choices. You know, do we understand and forgive or do we pursue justice? And then at what cost? Um, I, I think there may be a good message here about not jumping to conclusions and and like you say ken uh making sure that we act the way that we say that we are you know we're maintaining this humane system of justice um kirk says over and over again he has to make absolutely sure before he does anything and remember how i said earlier that that this show isn't about the death penalty but it made me kind of think of that Mm -hmm. um because i kept thinking well well yeah this is why we have this system in place is so that when something terrible happens we don't let our emotions rule the day and have a lynch mob you know, th- this is why we go through the correct process of right. making sure that we we have the evidence, we have the factual information. Um, so, you know, is there a message there beyond kind of what I hope we all understand anyway? Um, may- maybe not. I, you know, I, I think these are important things. I think these are important points that we all should hold dear and if, if again, we go back to this idea of being acting like the better people that we say that we are, well, here's another reminder. Yeah, this is sort of I mean, this is like um, I don't want to say this is humanity at its best, the way the Corbin might maneuver was, because it's certainly not. But I mean, this is I mean, this is just a good story set or a decent story set in the 23rd century. And so mostly what we have is the 23rd century actually being a fairly decent place. Mm-hmm. There's not like a message. This is not, you know, save the whales because <laughs> there's yeah, going right. to do a whole movie about that. <laughs> this, you know, and, and this is not I mean, this isn't really about it's not really even a story about justice. Exactly. It's just it's something that happens. And the cool thing is from the things that happen, we, we do get a lot to sort of examine and to look at and to consider. But this is we haven't used this phrase in the past few weeks. This is not a you see to me. This is right. not a, you know, this is not a, and the moral of the story is, uh, it's, it's just, you know, kind of an, an interesting examination of some interesting ideas, um, maybe a little too dated to really resonate today the way it might have resonated when it first aired. But, um, no, I mean, the messages that you can pull out, I think you can say that those messages do stand the test of time. The, the problem is you have to work fairly hard to find, you know, like a stated message, so yeah, it, it it feels like yeah it holds up if you go ahead and apply messages to it. Otherwise, you may just be in for you know an interesting detective show. I agree with that. Yeah. Oh, I love when that happens. All right. 
<laughs> so that's what we thought. But we do, of course, want to hear what you thought about this show, about shows upcoming, about, uh, you know, other things, Star Trekian. I don't know if that's a term, but by God, it should be. Uh, there are a number of ways to get in touch with us, and we would love it if you did. You can email us, missionlog at roddenberry.com. Missionlog at roddenberry.com is that email address. You can, of course, hit us up on Twitter at missionlogpod. At missionlogpod, we'll do that. Missionlogpod is also the uh, our handle on Skype, or you can pick up the phone and call, just like your great-great-grandparents did. 323-522-5641 is the phone number. 323-522-5641. There is a Facebook page, facebook.com slash missionlogpod. And, of course, there is a website, missionlogpodcast.com. And if you seriously can't get in touch with us one of those many ways, I, I just don't think you're trying hard enough. All right, everybody. Next week, it's time to meet the Romulans. No, that's not a new sitcom. It is rather a balance of terror. Some of the music for the mission log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages, by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. Good night, good night, parting is such sweet sorrow, that I shall say good night till it be another edition of Mission Log. and transmission. Now leaving Nerdist.com